When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by Washington football team tight end Samus Reyes as we go in-depth on his story. Coming from Chile to the U.S. at age 14 without his parents and where he's at in his development as a tight end heading into training camp. We had this conversation back in June, right before the end of minicamp, but of course not much has changed since then. He explains why he understands it might take a while for him to be a viable NFL player. It is not the same situation as others who have made the transition from basketball to the NFL. As I wrote in a story on ESPN.com about Reyes this weekend, the others who accomplished this all had football in their background to some degree. Reyes, outside of high school, did not. Before I share that conversation, a couple thoughts heading into training camp. This will be their most hyped team since 2013, but this is an overall deeper team. That team also featured an injured quarterback making a return, so it was difficult to really improve or to see where they were really at. I will say, before that season, I thought they could win 11 games, but that was also based on the assumption that Robert Griffin III would get healthy and would be back to where he was the previous year. They also lacked the other means to get better. They had traded high picks for Griffin, and they lost at $18 million in cap space in two offseasons, and one of which was that offseason. So that, coupled with some behind-the-scenes issues, led some coaches to tell them to tell their spouses before camp that it would be a disastrous season. They knew they, they had no way to improve. And, and, that, and they knew the defense needed to improve, and they could not really do a whole lot there. I don't think anyone's going to go into 2021 with that same thought in their head. They have one of the best defensive fronts in, in the NFL and a deep offensive line that should be able to withstand a 17-game schedule. I picked them as the favorite to win the NFC East because of the defense and because of quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Not that I think he's going to be spectacular. I, like a lot of you still have questions about how good he'll do. Can he do it over 17 games? I think the overall quarterback situation, though, is better, whether whether Heineke or Kyle Allen has to come in for a couple of games, whatever. I think the overall situation is better. But I don't know how good Fitzpatrick will be. I just think he'll be better. He'll probably be what he's been. But what he's been will be better than what Washington had last season. For ESPN, we did a writer's roundtable and had to pick a favorite for the NFC East. This was, I think, a couple weeks ago. Initially, I was going to say Dallas because of the health issues they had in 2020, and you figured they'd be improved with Dak Prescott back, et cetera. Then I thought, well, what if Washington had Fitzpatrick last season? They'd probably win 10 games. They won seven games with Dwayne Haskins starting six and playing poorly in most of them. Alex Smith wasn't great, but he was good enough to go five and one as a starter. I think they're a better team in other areas, not just quarterback. I also think Dallas and the Giants will be right there. But I have deep questions about the Dallas defense, 
and have quite, and even if they're better, there were a lot of changes, including coordinator and, and talent, et cetera. I have questions about New York's offensive line as well as quarterback Daniel Jones. Still not sold on him, but I do think that offense will be better. We don't know what Saquon Barkley will be because we're not even sure when he's coming back, kind of going to come back. Excuse me. They also lack any top-level pass rushers, so I think their defense, while good, I think there's a ceiling as to how good they can be. That's why entering training camp, I view Washington as the favorite. Among the players, I'm curious to see how they progress this summer. Jamin Davis, at middle linebacker. We saw him in the spring. You saw the athleticism, but that's what you should see. That's why they drafted him. I think what you want to see is, does he look lost out there? How does he do in the preseason games? Of course, how is he filling the run? Because I think that's one of the questions that some people had about him coming out. And you, um, Benjamin, corner Benjamin St. Juiced, he looked pretty good in the spring. Can he continue that this summer? And if he does... What kind of options does that give Washington? You could put Jackson, William Jackson, and Benjamin St. Juice out there. Kendall Fuller aside, if St. Juice gets to that level. Or if nothing else, he's another option for you to match up when you're facing a team that has big receivers. It just he gives you flexibility the better he plays. Sidney Charles, how does he factor in? This team was really excited about him last year, and I've heard a lot of talk about him this offseason about what they think he could do, but you still got to go out and do it. And he hasn't done that yet. So, and where's he going to primarily be? Will it, will they continue to try him at tackle where you already know the starters or will they give him a shot to start inside a guard, which is what I had heard most of the offseason. That's what people would, would consider more um, as, but can he, can he handle a tackle? And maybe that gives you future options. So it maybe just gives you an option at both spots, but I think he's an interesting one because again, they really did like him. Deami Brown. He's a guy that I think could make an impact in some way, just because his ability to make because of his ability to make plays down the field and just add another weapon to this offense. Um, how does it? How do the tight ends develop beyond Logan Thomas? But these guys I mentioned are all young kids who could make an impact this season. And there's always the ifs, ifs, ifs attached to them. The wide receiver battle. As we enter camp, I think there are five on the roster. If I and this is I have a. Projection out, 53-man roster projection. I think that's coming out this week. So I went with six on the roster. And I think five to me right now would be I would what I would consider locks. But I hate that word because things change. But going in, it's McLaurin, Samuel, Humphreys, Brown, and Cam Sims. They really like how he finished, and he's a big receiver. They like that. He obviously can play special teams as well. So he's got a lot of flexibility for you. And looking at the roster, I could see them keeping six receivers. So to me – Right now, it comes down to Antonio Gandy-Golden or Kelvin Harmon, the physical style of Harmon, and maybe some downfield playmaking ability because of the um, ability to go up there and get it in, in Gandy-Golden. But both of them have to show something. And Gandy-Golden showed a little bit this spring, didn't show a whole lot last summer. Injuries slowed him. Harmon coming off the ACL, but they like his physical play. So I think that'll be interesting. And I know other guys in the mix, Stephen Sims, and then, of course, Isaiah Wright. You know, I think they're certainly right now going in, they're on the outside looking in, going into camp. Dax Mill will be another one to watch, but I think, you know, you could probably put him on the practice squad, but I do think he's going to factor here in the future. Another one, how does Ryan Fitzpatrick look? Now, going back to him, he has looked he has looked and sounded like a guy who knows he's the starter. So will there be a true competition? If they're rotating reps by period or by day, then we'll know it's more than just lip service. 
I also think in that scenario that Fitzpatrick still emerges. Ron Rivera loves what the veteran adds and how that can help the young players develop on offense. I also think he wants to show others that nothing is being handed to anyone. And so, but now, of course, in some cases, there is no competition, defensive end, for example, but they will have it wherever they can. And I certainly go with, but I certainly go with the belief that Fitzpatrick is firmly in control. Now, if he's going out there and throwing pick after pick in practice, now things are going to start to change. That said, I'm curious to see how Taylor Heineke plays off his one really good start last year, plus a full offseason in, back in this offense and probably playing with more confidence. So how does that translate into his play? I think he'll be a fun story to watch this summer, definitely. The other one, where are the COVID numbers or at least the vaccine numbers? I was told Sunday morning that about they're in that 50 to 55 percent vaccinated range. That's an approximation. Now, I don't anticipate the team will be having other doctors, et cetera, come in like they did in June. The NFL is taking control of the situation with threats of forfeits, loss of money, et cetera. The NFL is serious about not wanting any sort of interruption or anything else from this pandemic. People can complain all they want about what the NFL is doing, but the NFL has laid out the ground rules. Players don't have to get the vaccine, but if they contract the virus, then there will be consequences for them and possibly their entire team. Unfortunately, this is a question that we're going to be asking players about the vaccine because it's become a storyline for the NFL. Just know it's not a pleasant question. It's not like people are sitting there saying, oh, I can't wait to ask them about this. Nobody wants to ask about this. What I want to ask about is how does Chase Young look? How does Montez Sweat look compared to last year, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say 99% of the reporters out there, maybe 100, want to ask the same things. Unfortunately, we're in a position where this is now a little bit of a storyline, not just here, but for the NFL. Hopefully that goes away pretty soon. As for John Allen's contract status, I provided an analysis on the previous podcast based on a few conversations I've had. Not a whole lot has changed as of Sunday afternoon since I recorded that one. So what I said on that podcast, which features Charles Leno Jr., is the latest. There's just not much movement as of Sunday afternoon. Again, as I said on that on that on the previous podcast, things could change quickly in this situation. So just because there's no movement as of now doesn't mean that on Monday or Tuesday or even during camp that something else wouldn't get done. So just where we're at right now. Um, and as a note, I will be having 10-minute daily podcasts throughout training camp on what I see in practice and analysis, etc. If all goes well, those should be up around 2.30 or so every day. So you can get a practice report for your drive home. And that will last as long as practices are open to the media. So make sure you download those. And those, again, will be daily. And there will be some longer ones at the end of a week um, when there's going to be a break in between, you know, day, day off or so. So it gives you a little bit more time to listen to some of these. Um, but I want to bring you as much analysis about this team as I can. This is my ninth camp working for ESPN, my 28th camp overall. Holy crap. I never take for granted that I know everything because I don't. I enjoy going to these camps because you're always learning something every year on this beat. And I love seeing how guys progress. What are they working on? Um, how do guys look in the one-on-ones, et cetera? I still enjoy all of that. So let's get to it. After this break, I'll be back in Washington with Samus Reyes. Why wasn't he scared when he was 14 and heading to a foreign country by himself? How did he manage to survive in Florida on his own? 
Which donuts is he tired of? You'll understand that when you're listening to it. And how long does he think it'll take to become a quality tight end? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's talk about underdog fantasy. Underdog fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football for big cash prizes. An underdog fantasy you just draft. No need to worry about waivers, lineups, or injuries. Underdog handles it all for you. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft a season-long best ball team, and that's it. No in-season management. They're going to give you $25 when you sign up so you can take a free shot at a $1 million grand prize in their fantasy football tournament. That's right. You can get a free $25 in bonus cash on Underdog Fantasy if you use the code KIME, K-E-I-M, when you make your first deposit. I love Underdog because it's just so easy to use. The mobile app is slick. The website is user-friendly. So do what I've been doing. Go to underdogfantasy.com, join a league, draft a team, and that's it. You're good for the season. Remember, go to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, sign up with the code KIME, K-E-I-M, and get a free $25 in bonus cash. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Washington football team tight end, Samich Reyes. I do want to start, though, with the current right now. And so what you're going through right now, because everybody wants to know is, you know, when is he going to become this at tight end? So what is the transition like early on right now? Right. It is, um, I think, you know, as any sport, it doesn't matter how athletic, how strong, how fast you are. There's always the fundamentals, right? Like Kobe Bryant used to always talk about the fundamentals in basketball. And, you know, Kobe sometimes wasn't the most, um, well, he was a very gifted athlete, but he was the most fundamental athlete. Same with Michael Jordan, right, in basketball. Mm -hmm. And when you look at football, there are so many fundamentals that I have to learn. And, you know, Coach Pete, our tight end coach, he's he's helped me tremendously. He's taking me back to, to day one. This is how you start playing football, right? These are, this is the terminology. And, of course, you know, I'm sitting in meetings and certain things go over my head just because I just don't know what they mean. You know, like if you move to a new country and they speak a different language, you will not be able to communicate very well the first day. Right. right? But I, I'm a fast learner and I'm going to put in the work. So it's been it's been about sitting many hours and studying many hours, a lot of hours, just sitting on a table <laughs> trying to figure out different uh defensive fronts right because every every play might change a little bit based on the front that you get so if you initially told me that uh if uh, if if you have a defensive end inside of you you have to go block him but then all of a sudden he moves outside of you now do i still have that defensive end or do i have to go you know to the linebacker and try and get him 
So that's what I'm going through right now. Just understanding my assignment, understanding my role and understanding uh, the fundamentals of the game, which is something that, you know, it, it might take a little bit, right? It might. But, but one thing I know I can do and one thing I know I have is the energy, the attitude and the effort, right? And I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to come to practice prepared. And of course, I'm going to make mistakes, right? That That's inevitable. I'm going to make mistakes, a lot of them probably, right? But I'm going to get it down because it's a matter of effort. And I've, I've already seen so much improvements uh, when it comes to just understanding the game, mm. watching a lot of film with coach, you know, extra hours, the weekends, and, you know, really focusing on those little things that make a big difference, right? Hand placement. Where do I want to put my hands when I strike, right? What is my footwork, right? If it's, if it's a gap scheme, where, where, what's the first step that I got to take, right? I didn't know those things a week ago. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know them. <laughs> so uh, I'm learning, uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's going to take some time, but I coach, coach things that I'm going to get there, and I know I'm going to get there. So it's just a matter of how fast I can pick it up. As a, as a receiving tight end, because what you're talking about a lot, too, is blocking. Yeah, um, yeah. As a receiving tight end, too, because, you know, you can run around and all that. How much are you still in your head a little bit cluttered with, do I cut here or do I get to here and then cut? Like, how? what has that process been like for you so far? Right. It's still been um, – I think route running is a little bit more clear, right? Run to 12 yards, break down get out of 14 and then get friendly with the quarterback. Okay, we have a dig. Cool, I understand that, that's a six route. You know, but then, you know, they bring out different concepts and depending on whether the middle of the, 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 middle of the field is closed or open, you might have to bend it. If you, if you have a man on you and, you know, somebody's it's got, you know, man to man, you might have to bend it even more. So those things I think are easier uh, when it comes to route running. But um, there's still, you know, fundamentals and different things coming out of breaks, uh, you know, getting your pad level down and, and trying to get out with as little steps as you can, uh, giving a little something at the top of the route to create separation. So those things are, are things are, I'm, I'm understanding. But of course, if, you know, if, you, if someone is guarding me that I, I just, or there's a different front that I haven't seen, um, you know, I have to still get a feel for the game, right? There's some things that you know, and there's some things that you feel, right? If you give me a piece of paper and you show me, it's the middle of the field, open or close, oh, it's open, right? But once you get in there, you have right. to feel, right? So that feel is what I'm getting. And I think that's, that's going to come very quickly. So I'm really Are understanding that. And, and that's, you know, and I tell people too, like this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It does take time. It <laughs> yeah, could take, this is a few year process to get to where yeah. you need to go. Of course. Um, but I do want to go back to the origins of your story. And when you're 14 years old, getting on a plane, you don't know the language, you, you're yeah. going somewhere foreign. What is that like? Yeah, this, uh, it's very difficult, right? Going, it's, I think it was because... I had that experience at such a young age. This doesn't feel like it's a threat to me. Like learning football, it's hard, right? Especially if you never played a game ever. And then the first game that you play is against uh, NFL players, right? And our, as you guys know, our defense is it's great, right? So, you know, that's the first time you play. Of course, it's going to be hard. 
But like I said, coming into this country at such a young age, not being able to speak the language, not being able to understand the culture, people are very different here than what they are from where I'm from, right? Culturally. And um, being able to navigate that at such a young age, I think it prepared me for what this is, right? I, this is not as hard as that. That was way harder, right? At least now I understand what people are saying when they talk to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even like there are certain terms that I still don't know. I, at least I, I understand the language. At, at least I know the culture, right? But at that age, uh, 14, not being mature enough to, because no one is prepared at 14 to leave home. I don't care what my story was. As if my story ended up being a good one, right? And a story of like, I was able to figure it out. But there were many times where it would have been very easy for me to go a different route. Right. Because uh, being at that age, you know, not having parents around, making mistakes. Right. We haven't talked about those much, but I made some mistakes, you know, because I didn't have the wisdom that I have now. And I was in a different country, you know, free, no parents. So I made mistakes. Right. But I learned from them, from all of them. Right. The good, the bad, the ugly, the, the great memories. You learn from those things. Being 25 years old now and going through this process, it, even though it's hard, it's very manageable because of what I went through at 14, if that makes sense. And I, I, we all make mistakes growing up. I made them. Everybody made them. Of um, were there some that stood out to you when you look back that you can share? Um, I think there's, there's a few that I would, I'd rather not share. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, and I trust you. So I, there's a few that I'd rather not share. The ones that I do, probably the biggest mistake, and this one might be like an obvious one, but the biggest mistake was probably not listen to people that had the experience to look into the future for what they saw was possible for me. I, th I thought I knew better. I thought I was, I thought I had the talent to make the NBA. Right. Whereas when I lived with Steve Rifkin, all he talked to me about was playing football. Right. And I've I heard <laughs> I didn't listen. I didn't listen. Right. And I, I'm honest. And I told every time I see him, he thinks I'm a dumbass for not listening to him before. Like he said, you would you, you'll be playing by now. Right. You, you would have been in the league for a few <laughs> years by now. But I think uh, sometimes older people and the people close the closest to us can see the talents that sometimes we can't even see on ourselves because we've never been exposed to those things. Right. I was in love with basketball. I was in love with being a basketball player. I wanted to make the NBA. That was my only dream. And probably I would have been upset if I, if I didn't try all the way, you sure. know, the basketball dream, dream all the way through. I would have been like, damn, what, what about my basketball career? Where, where could that have taken me? Now I realized that it, it wasn't going to go anywhere, right? I, I could have been a basketball player, you know, overseas or in Chile or continue playing for a national team. But my dream was the NBA. My dream wasn't to be a professional basketball player overseas. I wanted to make the NBA. So I think not listening to the advice that uh, I received at a young age when it came to sports was probably a big mistake that I made. You know, I'll, I'll be very, I would have been very happy now, you know, three, four years into the league, uh, knowing the game of football a little bit better. You also have to be ready to make that move too. Just because others are doesn't mean you are. But were, were there some other mistakes that without even saying what they were, where you look back and say, I made, you know, at this time, I made this decision because maybe if I don't, I go this way. But because I made this decision, I went this way. 
in like a guru about way. In a, in a, in a, you clearly end up in a good way. So yeah. whatever decisions you made have put you on a good path. Yeah. But where there's sometimes where you have that choice where, because again, you're by yourself, that yeah. it's like, boy, I know looking back, if I had made this decision, I'm going a different direction. Yeah, I think, um, and this one is tough because I think, you know, as, as a 18 year old, right? I thought I knew a lot more than I did at the time. Right. And I'm still really young. I, there's still so much that I have to experience and learn and grow. Right. I don't think I'm anywhere near to become the man I know I could be. Right. But at 18, I thought I was great. Or 17, I thought I was the greatest thing in the world. You know, I was a very good basketball player. I led the, the team in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, uh, dunks. <laughs> I'm a highly known player in the state of Florida. Um, I was the number one recruit coming out of Chile. Right. Uh, I was one of I had at the time I had probably, you know, my junior year in high school and senior year. I had over over 20, 25 division one offers for basketball. So I thought it was great. Right. Not knowing what the future was going to, you know, I think I always say and I don't know if anybody else has said this before, but if you're not humble, life will humble you. Yeah. And I don't know if somebody else has said that or not, but that's that's the way I see it. And at the time, I wasn't humble, right? And then life humbled me, right? Getting to college and being behind two NBA players and not being able to see a court much, you know, because, you know, Cameron Reynolds and Noli Frazier, two NBA players that we had, were a lot better than I was, you know? And so not being able to play much and being frustrated with uh, my basketball career in that sense was very humbling. And then... I think that's 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 something that I saw. Like I wish I, I would have. Uh, I worked my ass off. I've always worked my ass off. That's I think that's what makes me. But I wish I understood better, like the level of competitiveness that I was going to get myself into. And at the time, maybe I didn't know. You know, when when you're on that plane, are you scared coming here for the first time? No, I've always been very brave. I, I've never, I, I, I don't, I don't feel fear very often. I don't think I feel fear. Like the one, the things that scare me is one day getting up and getting a call that something happened to my family. That scares me. Right. But the things that I've always had to do, like, I, I don't, I don't feel that, that type of fear. And I can say that very, I can say that very confidently. Why right? not? My parents, the way they, they raised me. I remember, or I hear stories from my dad all the time. As a very young kid, he'll, um, he'll have me walk around and I'll fall, you know, when learning how to walk a few months old. And my dad wouldn't pick me up off the ground. And I always hear this from him. And he thinks that's the best thing he could have ever done because I always had to get up by myself. Right. Or sometimes like I remember one time he said one time he remembers where I, I, we were at, they were at the mall with me and I started crying and they just left me there crying. And of course, after 30 seconds, you start looking at your parents, they're not there, you know, and then he thinks that that the way they raised me ingrained something in my brain that just like limit the fear. So I, I had no fear, but I was um, I was eager to get here. I, you know, I, I was, you know, where I where I'm from is not it's, it's not a very good place. Right. There's not that many opportunities. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of things that I don't want to be around. And if I would have stayed in Chile, you know, maybe I would have been around those things a lot more. 
I came here and I play sports. Very different life. You know, so yeah. I, I know I, I had no fear. I had no fear. I just sat there. I talked to myself. I cried. I remember I was sad, right? Because I didn't know next the next time I was going to see my mom, my dad, my friends. But I was I was ready. How, when when did you feel comfortable speaking English? How long did that process take? It was about six months. Six months. And, you know, um, how did you learn it? <laughs> crazy. I think what really helped me was uh, writing every word or, or at least trying to write every word that I heard, even if it was misspelled, right? Even if I didn't spell the word correctly and then going back to the dictionary and actually going through and see if I can find the exact word and then translating and writing it down. Because we didn't, I didn't have like a, a personal tutor or a teacher or someone that taught me. Like I remember the first time I had a class, they put me in the middle of you know a math class and the next day that I got to the States, I was in a math class with regular high school students my freshman year. And I was sitting around there like, what the hell is going on? Like, I, the only thing I know is the numbers that I see on the board. You know what I mean? But um, I think when you're that age, you, you pick things up a lot quicker than when you get older, just because I was forced. It was survival for me. I had to. And in the beginning, I remember now that I look back, I probably messed up so many words, but I didn't care because I had the confidence to talk. You know, sometimes I, whenever we try other languages, I feel like people get um, self-conscious about speaking and then they end up not learning, right? I think the only way, same with football, right? The only way for me to learn is to be out there. And if I make mistakes, I, I make mistakes, right? I'm not going to be perfect. It's impossible. When you learn a new language, you're not going to be perfect. So you have to be brave enough to put yourself in the situations that are going to force you to learn very quickly, because you, Coach P always says, you make a mistake once, okay, that's a mistake. You make a mistake twice, that's a sin, right? And that's what he tells me all the time. So that's ingrained in my brain right now, you know, trying to not make the same mistakes that I made the first time. And then you went to the school. How long was it, were you, when that school closed within a few months or whatever, how long were you on your own with your roommate before you moved to somewhere else? Yeah, so it was, it was, when I was at it was Westlake Prep, they closed, I don't know, three, four months into the time I got there. And then, as I said, it was a prep school. So everyone else left because everyone was 18, 19 years old. They were most, 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 a lot of them were Americans. Other kids were from different countries. My friend Sebastian, who was also from Chile, who, who I got to live with for like three, four months in the beginning, he also left uh, to a junior college. And I stayed in, we had an apartment complex. Right. And we had an apartment in the apartment complex and I stayed there by myself for, I'll say, four or five months waiting for or four months waiting for the summer so I could play AAU basketball. So that's that's the time where I uh, where I had to just sit down and, and, and wait. And then I found that's when I found each one teach one, which right. is actually a very well known basketball team that I play for uh, in the Nike in the Nike circuit. Right. So when you're surviving in that time. How are you getting help? Who's giving you help? Right. So I'll say once a week, the coach uh, from the school. And, you know, I don't want to speak bad about them because they got me into the States. That's the, you know, they gave me the visa that allowed me to come to the United States. And without them, I wouldn't be here today. So I will never say anything bad about them. But, you know, they, they swung by once, once a week, right? To, you know, sometimes we food, sometimes just to say what's up. And then the rest of that time, I had to just, you know, figure it out. And then that's when, during that time, I started training 
somehow I got connected. I can't remember quite how I got connected with Coach Greg Rosenbelt, who is a guy who, you know, every weekend I'll spend the whole weekend with him uh, because we were we were starting to play basketball. So and not games or anything, just training. So he, you know, after every session, he'll stop at McDonald's and I had you know, five bucks, five bucks from a dollar menu, right? And that was that was you know heaven for me that was perfect for me that was like wow like i got five bucks from the dollar menu <laughs> like that's amazing like this this is the greatest thing in the world and then he'll you know help me with groceries and stuff and then i'll get home and that was that's what i had and you know and sometimes i ran out of groceries right and i'm like okay what do i do now and then i had to find a way you know my dad was still sending me whatever it was at the time 50 bucks a month i think so okay i got 50 bucks what do i do with 50 bucks and i always I don't know if I've said this to you, but I always bought my protein shake, my proteins from, I think it was like a, some, some store, I can't remember. But um, I, I had my protein shakes and then it was, you know, trying to figure out whatever, what the next meal was sometimes. Other times, you know, I, I got lucky enough where I met a friend or something that they invited me over to eat. But there was a lot of times where it's like, okay, no breakfast, no breakfast. Let's go. Come on, we got to go train. And I'll go and train and then I'll come back and, okay, now we can do lunch. We got $3. What, what's for lunch? Right. So that's that's how I figured out. And that's how I went about it. You know, it was kind of like a day by day kind of thing, week by week by week, at least during those four or five months. Then once we started playing AU over the summer, things got a little bit better because Coach Gray was helping me out a lot more, a lot more. And what about the donuts? Donuts, man. Those are, I think those are famous by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, at the end of, you know, the, the, the night. I think it was about 8 p.m. or something. I'll go to the store and the guy that um, for a dollar, he'll give me 12 donuts or whatever I wanted really, because otherwise we'll throw them, throw them out because they couldn't sell them the next day. And once I figured that out, I'm like, okay, I'm eating donuts whenever I can, right? I'm going to go get some donuts because between, you know, having a whole bunch of donuts or a can of beans, ah, sometimes you got to go with the donuts. <laughs> So I'll go and I'll get my donuts and I'll have, you know, food for the next two, three days. Yeah. Can you, can you still eat donuts? No, I can't eat donuts anymore. <laughs> I can't even see them. <laughs> can't eat donuts. I know I, I eat very healthy now. I try to eat a very, like a very well balanced diet. So donuts are out of the picture by now. Would you, did your parents know the struggles that you were going through? Not at that time. Not at that time. I don't think I, I didn't want to put that on them. Right. That would have made them sad. So I think they, they, they fully understand this now. But at the time, you know, they, I didn't, I told them everything was great. I'm like, no, I'm doing great. No worries. Like I'm going to school. Sometimes I wouldn't go to school, <laughs> right? I'm, you know, doing my thing. I'll, after school, I'll take the bus home. Sometimes in the middle of the day, I would just leave school to go home and so I could train. <laughs> and uh, my, no, they didn't know. They had, they had no idea what, um, what it was. And I felt like I wanted to tell them. But I knew if I did that, I could lose my chance of being here. So I didn't take that risk, especially with my mom, you know, being the way she is, she would have, you know, she would have told my dad to come get me, get back on a plane, let's go home, right? And that would have been it for me. You know, I could have had an, I could have had an, if I, I feel like, and I truly feel this, if I opened my mouth and I told them what I was going through, probably none of this would have happened. None of this would have happened. They would not have taken a second chance uh, you know, me coming to the States, like, I wouldn't be here. So I just know that's the way that it had to be. 
I had to stay quiet. I had to suffer so you can shine later. Did you have to hide it from friends here, what you were going through in terms um, of like just emotions and all that? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, you know, OK, first of all, I couldn't. Exp- I mean, I, I spoke English, but I couldn't ex- explain myself very well. You know, like I, I had a thick accent. And, you know, I don't think, you know, 14 year old kids at that time maybe understood what I was going through. Right. Because, you know, and a lot of my teammates came from very, you know, humbling backgrounds as well. Right. But at least they had, I don't know, a mom that was at the the house that could take care of them or a house or a place that was theirs or something. I feel like my situation was a lot different because my parents weren't here. So every, I knew I was responsible for every decision. I was responsible for every decision that I had to make. So, you know, I couldn't really, I, and at that time, you don't want to seem vulnerable, right? right. You don't want to, you're a kid. Like you don't want to, you know, all I wanted to do was play basketball. So, every, you know, when I saw them, was all, all talk about basketball. And then there was the one time too, and I just, just a couple more, but there was one time when I guess the plane story where you get off the plane and I guess there was a mix up with the coach or your plane was late, whatever. And you couldn't contact him. So you didn't have a phone. All right. What do you remember about that story? Cause you know, yeah. there, I mean, everybody brings that up. Yeah, no, that was crazy. I think, you know, every time I, I think about this, this was probably one of the times where I was like, wow. Like, cause I was at this time I was at St. Andrews high school. I wasn't living with Steve and, and Alex at the time I was, I was staying at the school and, um, I came and I think I, I was held up by immigration because, you know, sometimes they do that. And sometimes immigration holds you up and you're waiting for 12 hours before you can get into the country. That happened to me multiple times, right? You get an, an immigration guy that doesn't trust your papers and, you know, you're, you're that age and they put you in a room, no food, no nothing for 12 hours. And you just got to sit there and wait until they let you through. And that happened to me multiple times. That happened. And that was real. And that was really hard. So I'll just sit there and, you know, wait for 12 hours for me to be allowed in the country, knowing that I was entering the country legally, that I had my passport, knowing that I had my I-20 for the school and knowing. But, you know, they didn't see uh, like a residence where I was living. So they were like, OK, where is this guy living during this time? And I'm like, I'm staying at the school. It's a boarding school. And sometimes they'll get those things confused. So they wouldn't let me in. And, you know, that time they didn't let me in for like 12 hours. So the guy who was a person that worked for the school was supposed to pick me up and a few other kids at that time. And of course I never passed security. So he left and I didn't have a phone. So how was it, you know, and of course I'm sure he cared that, you know, where is this kid? Where is, the, where, why is this guy not here? I'm sure it wasn't like, he, but he probably waited. I don't know. But then 12 hours go by and I wouldn't expect him to wait. So they finally let me through and I get out and it's late. And I'm in South Miami, right? I'm at the Miami airport. And I get a ride to, uh, I think it's called the, the Tri-Rail or something like that, that takes you from that from South Miami to Boca Raton, Florida. So I get there, I take uh, the metro from the, um, the subway from the, from the airport, and I get there and I see the last train for the night leave or about to leave. So I take off running, you know, I don't even pay for the thing. I just hop the fence with my two huge suitcases and I go there running. And as soon as I'm about to close, uh, get down to the uh, place where you have to board the train, the train takes off. So that was it, right? It, and I, I had already, I had no idea where I was someplace. I think it was Hialeah. 
So I get out of there and I, I, I'm like, I go ask the people if uh, there was another train coming tonight and they said no. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, geez, what am I gonna do now? I try to find any other method of transportation and there's, I don't think there's any buses that go all the way from down south to north, you know, Miami. So uh, I'm like, okay, you know, I have nothing that I can do, no phone, no money. So maybe a few bucks. So I go and I, uh, there was a, I go outside and I, I remember vividly, there was a drive through Wendy's that was still open and I go through and I get myself dinner, right? Maybe like two burgers or something. And then I'm like, okay, I can't get home. So I remember that there was a, there was a pharmacy, it was either a CVS or a Walgreens. And I go behind the pharmacy to eat my stuff because I didn't know where to sleep. I had no place to sleep. So I go back there, I had two towels with me. I throw the, the towels on the ground. Uh, I used, you know, some clothing as pillows and I slept there. I slept behind a Walgreens uh, that night, waiting for the next train at, at 6 a.m. the next morning. So I had, you know, and and those things and stories like that have many, but I think that one was just uh, tough because I really had no one or no way of communicating and I had no one to call to go get me from the airport. So, you know, I had to just suck it out, sleep outside, and then next morning I was good. And then I remember I got the next morning, I got to the train station and I think I had run out of money because I probably ate it all. I was starving. And then I had to walk. I promise you it was like at least 15 miles with two bags, two suitcases, 10 to 15. I, it must have been 10 miles at least, or at least it felt like 10 miles. I don't know, <laughs> with my two suitcases walking to St. Andrews High School from the trial rail. And then I remember the library, uh, the person that worked at the library, she saw me and she's like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm sweating, no shirt on. And she like gave me a ride to school for the past, like for the last like mile and a half. I, rem I remember that. Wow, man, that's... <laughs> that one was tough. <laughs> that, that one's unique too. Um, yeah. Just two, two more questions. The Rifkin yep. family, you started living with them and how much did that, did that help kind of further your transition here? Living with Steve and Alex? Yes. Oh, that was like, you know, that was amazing. And now uh, it, it was beautiful. Like they took such good care of me. They were, you know, up until this day, Steve's like a second dad to me and Alex is like my brother, right? But at the same time, like going from not having anything to having a solid family environment, it's also very complicated, right? There's like things that people don't understand. I went from the poor school from the at the end of the bottom of the schools in Florida to one of the reaches, which, which was St. Andrews. So getting acclimated to kids whose parents were all CEOs of different companies. And I'm in the middle with, you know, shorts and, and some shoes that I only, I can even tell you the brand and every, everybody else is wearing ties and clothes and Gucci shoes to school. And they, some of the guys drive, drive BMWs and Mercedes to school. And I'm there and I don't even have a car and I don't, you know, and I'm like, I wear the same clothes to school every day. That was a challenge too, you know, because, you know, you take a kid from, and I, it was clear that I didn't belong there. Like, I, at least like, at the time I felt like that. I like, what's going on? I don't belong here. You know, what's going on? Kids will go to dinners on the weekends and they will go, you know, to fancy dinners and I'll just tag along. And, you know, most of the time, good friends will pay for me, but it was, it was hard. But, you know, living with Steve and Alex and, and the lifestyle that they live, you know, they took such a good care of me. Like I have nothing negative to say about any any of them or Nicole Rifkin, who's uh, Steve's former or ex-wife. 
uh, they took care of me. They took such good care of me and, you know, they became my family to me. So that, that was, that was great. That was awesome. Last thing, given everything you just said, do you think you're, and you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but the fact that you're in this position now and your confidence, how much does that confidence stem from, Hey, look what I've already survived. That's it. That's, that's, Without those experiences, I don't think I'll have the the guts, the the balls to, for lack of a better word, to do what I'm doing. Imagine now, imagine you know, whenever someone starts at, at a job, no one, no one is expected to do the job properly day one, because you just don't know, regardless of what job it is. And I know for a fact that a lot of the people out there, they expect me to be perfect day one. They're like, here comes Sam Reyes. You know, he's going to score 10 touchdowns. And I'm basically just literally just trying to learn new plays and like what the hell those zone blocking mean, right? So at the same time, though, at the same time, I know that the mind, right, or, or the mind that I have developed, the calluses that I have developed or the resilience that I have developed, in my brain is what's going to get me through. And I'm going to come out on the other side. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know if it's going to be five months, a year, two years, but I'm going to get on the other side and it's going to be an amazing story because I, I, I can see, I can visualize it. I know that's what's going to happen. It's just a matter of how quickly I can get there. Right. And how, how, but one thing that I keep on telling everybody is like, there's nothing harder than what I have already been through. Like nothing can top that for the rest of my life. And I think that's what gives me this mindset that like I'm never going to be afraid for a challenge because I already did the hardest thing of my life. Nothing else is going to be harder than that. I, I doubt it. And if something hard comes up, a death or something that's unexpected, it's going to be hard. But I, I, I've developed my mind. I've trained my mind to think in a way that I know it's going to get me to the other side of this. And then maybe a year from now, you and I will be sitting here having a conversation and it'll be a very different conversation, right? We might be talking about a game or something else or who knows, but that resilience, you know, the struggles that I went through made me an extremely resilient person. I'm like, I'm going to be relentless with this. I'm going to try until I get it. I'm going to, I'm like, I'm not going to let myself fail. There's no doubt in my mind, zero doubt. So I think that those experiences from, from that very early age uh, developed this mindset that it's just nothing can penetrate. I don't care how many times I get yelled at. <laughs> the coach might yell at me a hundred times. What the hell are you doing? And he has. I've been yelled at in the middle of practice by, by my coach, and I love it. I take it, and I'm like, yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse. No explanation. I got you, coach. I'm sorry. I'm, if I fucked up... I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I got you. Next time I'll get it right. I promise. And I go out there with the same enthusiasm, the same attitude, and the same determination to get it right the next time. And I might mess it up again, but nothing in my mind state is going to change. That's what I love in the place where I am mentally right now. That's awesome. I, I greatly, man, I greatly appreciate this and really enjoyed it. So thank you very much for sharing all this. And also Pete Hayner is very, very colorful. And he says things that are a lot stronger than hell. So <laughs> he's a, I love the guy. Though. He's, uh, he's, I wish they would mic him up and it would be fantastic. Oh, maybe it would just be a whole bunch of beeps throughout. <laughs> that, that's okay. It would still be great. So 
But pleasure. listen, man, I appreciate this. It was great. Yeah, thank you. I really thank, appreciate it. Thank awesome. you. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know, which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Santos for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Wednesday after Washington's first practice. Remember, I'll be doing quick 10-minute updates after every open practice, with some that occasionally go a little bit longer with the guest. Finally, after months and months of speculation, folks, it's about to get real. Talk to you next time.